This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Uh, my, my opinion, this is simple, right? Which is uh, the more data points you have over somebody, right? The better you can assess whether they can actually repay back a loan, which is what a credit score is for, right? You don't have to call it credit scoring. It, it's just the process of assessing whether somebody can qualify for a loan because they have a propensity to pay you back or not. Um, for me, like one thing that's that's a worst kept secret in Malaysia is that banks themselves don't currently use spending data to credit score someone when they make a decision on whether to give out a loan. That's a really strange thing to say, but they, they really only rely on uh, your application and demographic data along with you know their, your secrets report. The voice you just heard belongs to Han Liu, CEO of Ringgit Plus. Han is also the founder and director of a fintech company called Genexu and was a member of the National Economic Action Council. Han is here to talk about the future of credit scoring and how it's likely to change in a world that continues to give companies more insight to its consumers than ever before. Just think about the importance of benchmarking a person financially for a second and how much it influences that person's quality of life. A good score means more financial stability and opportunity, whereas a bad score can be detrimental in so many ways beyond just finance. And the concept of scoring someone is fairly new, right? Which means that the way we score people could change within the decade. The question is, how, why, and what will it look like? My name is Arvind Yuvraj, and this is Futurescapes, an audio time capsule that's not just a prediction of the world to come, but a record of the times that we are in now with ever-changing concepts and technologies that could, one day, change everything. Does your spend pattern indicate anything about whether or not you can repay back a loan? For me, I'd say probably yes. It's just a little bit more questionable whether it's more of a factor than whether you have repaid back a loan in the past. And if you ask me, that's the reason why banks themselves, who have had this data for a long time, for the last 15, 20 years since uh, debit and credit cards have been in circulation, they, they don't use this data. Why, why not? Maybe because uh, repayment data and whether you repay your existing loan is, is a better indicator. Now, I'm excited for you know, the future because the, the new entrants, the, the e-wallets of the world, the new digital banks from next year onwards, they won't have this history to rely on. They're going to have to use your spend behavior, right? And for me, that's going to improve uh, that side of the equation, but the most powerful th- thing that you can th- that you can do would be to combine both sides of the equation, right? What you spend on your daily, your weekly, daily, weekly, monthly spending, as well as what you've been able to your your bill your your bills and repayment behavior, right? And for me, that's that's going to be super duper powerful, right? If you combine the two, so for me, in it in in each of its own may not be uh, superior going forward anymore. You we need to combine many many data sets to complete a full consumer repayment capability profile. So we have a certain way of benchmarking people financially, right? Um, locally, we look at CTOS and CCRIS, and we look at the person's payment records. Mm. And this is a fairly new concept. Like it wasn't this way like 25 years ago. So will it be the same in 10 years in 2031? What do you think? Uh, you know, you like, like you rightly mentioned, I, I think to, to give a sense of what you can see in the future is worth to look at the past. Right? In the past, uh, in, order, in order to get approved for credit in Malaysia, you would have to know the bank manager. Um, he would have to you know, have a certain assessment of your, 
your personal profile, are you a decent man? Are you a decent person? Can you pay back your loan? Uh, interview you, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, lately, we have, uh, in, in more recent times, you, you're right, we have Secrets, right, which is centralized, you know, Bank Nagara type uh, system where you can see how well you are repaying. And to be fair, a, a good, that's a good measure of how well you can continue repaying, right, by, by looking at how you, you've done. So it's, uh, in itself, it's pretty good as a, as a way to do it. Now, how the, uh, that data is, is shared may not be the same going forward, meaning how do I know whether you've been paying back or not? It may not be just Secrets anymore, but the, the data point itself is useful, right? So I think you'd be surprised, like uh, people repaying back is one of the most telling measures of whether you can continue to repay back, which is a very strange thing to say, but it is. I don't think that's going away. Now, the fact that we use secrets for that might change, uh, but the, that, that behavior in itself as an indicator, I, I think it's still a very strong be, uh, strong indicator. Obviously, there are other gonna, gonna be other indicators that also come into play, uh, but we cannot just discount that as an indicator. Uh, it might not be secrets itself, but so here's an example. So right now, Secrets knows whether you're capable to pay back loans or not, right? Uh, it might not be Secrets going forward. It might be something else. So here's an example uh, where, uh, um, uh, let's say I get a loan from uh, um, the new e-wallet providers who are now giving out loans, right? Um, they, when, when you start paying back those loans, they currently don't report it back to Secrets, right? Because they're, they're not a banking institution, right? So then the question is, then how, uh, who gets this information? Well, the, the data point itself is useful. The fact that you repay your loan uh, back every month, or you have a monthly, uh, you do your monthly repayments. It's good stuff, good behavior. So that data point is useful, but uh, we might not even have a secret anymore, right? The secret itself is just it's just the place where this thing is housed. Now, in a world where banking data is completely open, uh, we might not have to have secrets to have to house that data. This could be housed, you know, in a decentralized manner and uploaded in a decentralized manner by all kinds of parties giving out loans, right? So that's kind of an example of uh, uh, the data point itself being the more important uh, discriminant rather than where I get it from. Oh, the fact that you said uh, decentralized is very interesting because um, don't you think something like that can be abused if it's like accessible by not just like banks or financial institutions, but if everyone has access to it, um, don't you think they have different ways of, of judging, of reading that data, um, of sort of like uh, labeling someone if they don't know how to use that data, let's say? Oh, good point. For me, yeah, you, decentralized is kind of like a very scary word, right? But for me, uh, decentralization itself is good. But like for me, credentialization is important too. Meaning, right, it's, it's good to have something decentralized, meaning no specific entity controls everything because I mean, there could be failures in that specific entity. Uh, but uh, having a system which... Uh, can credentialize people to access specific data points. I think that's useful, right? So for example, you have that uh, kind of a, a place where people can upload data. Uh, let's say I'm Grab and I, this person hasn't paid back the, his Grab loan or I'm, let's say, Lazada or Shopee and I give out a loan and this person hasn't paid back a loan. Right now, there's there's no way to do it except with a centralized person like CTOS, right? But imagine if you had a decentralized network that you could post information on a specific individual, uh, but you can only do that if you were credentialized to do that. So only Lazada can do that. Now, who determines that Lazada can do that? It, it has to be the community that does that, right? That's kind of uh, the way to go. So decentralization with credentialization. Do you think that um, e-wallets will become the new credit card? Because there's been research to show that uh, credit card usage has declined um, globally, but e-wallet uh, adoption continues to spike, right? Every single week it keeps going up. So can they become the new credit cards of the future? Well, uh, for me, if you think about what a credit card is, right, it's interesting, right? Um, uh, a credit card is, it, it actually does four things. It's quite interesting. 
uh, thing to think about. It looks like a piece of plastic, but actually it does four things, right? Number one, it's a payment instrument. It allows you to pay for things without cash. Uh, number two, it's kind of a membership program of sorts. So like a bit like a bonus link kind of situation, right? Where like lots of credit card holders, the bank uses that volume of customers to go and negotiate discounts and, 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 and promotions on their behalf. Number three, it's, it's a short-term uh, debt facility that is free, right? 0% for 20 to 50 days. And number four, it's, it's kind of, it also allows you to have long-term debt, right? Which is obviously not the best use of credit card, but, but, but you can use it for that. So there's kind of four, four things that a credit card does for Malaysians today or, uh, or anyone globally, right? Um, you think about what e-wallet does, only two out of the four things today. So I, my opinion is it, over the next kind of five to 10 years, uh, e-wallet needs to cover all four of the things before you can really consider yourself to be replacing uh, a, a credit card, right? Now they've already started in, 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 in kind of three, four short years, they've already replaced two out of the four things, right? You get, like you mentioned, you get better points. Uh, it's so convenient to pay. So two out of the four is already done. They, they just need to figure out now how to get the, the remaining two to, 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 to replace a credit card completely. And anyway, uh, 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 banks are t- starting to not even give the piece of plastic anymore. They, they just allow it on, on their apps, right? So like, uh, uh, banks like CIB have like the e-credit card and Maybank allows you to pay with May, things like that, right? So there's no need for the actual piece of plastic, right? But what you need is the, 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 the mechanism of those four things, right? And uh, as long as uh, you have them, trust me, the, 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 the migration will be seamless because of that, right? Which is, hey, I'm already scanning things anyway. Oh, I also get the this kind of interest-free period, twenty-day thing. Oh, I also get kind of possibility to roll my roll my my payment balances like a credit card with some interest. Then, then essentially, it's completely replaced the credit card for you, and you haven't really even noticed it, right? So, I this is my kind of prediction of what's going to happen. That you it will happen, and you won't even notice it. Um, where do you think uh, AI plays a role in in all of this? Because data is the new um, currency, right? And, and AI could have a, a better way of mapping a person instead of just looking at their finances. So how does AI fit into all of this? Well, I, I think it fits into it very, very neatly, actually. Um, uh, if you think about the, the old, when I say old, I don't mean old, I mean only the last 20 years. <laughs> um, the, the current way, not old way, the current way of how people are, are assessed by banks or, or, or credit companies, right? It's, 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 it's kind of, one-time statistical analysis, which is what are the factors that I can plug into this model, statistical model, one-time cross-sectional, uh, that determine whether this person is creditworthy or not. One snapshot of this person, right? And I do, you know, regression analysis, sorry, getting a bit statistical here. But regression analysis on this person to see, you know, all the factors are put in, is he likely to pay back one or not pay back zero kind of thing. But that's not how life works, right? Life does work that way. Life works in a, in a kind of dynamic way, right? You go through life, you get you get a bonus, you get an increment, you get fired, uh, you suddenly bought a new Porsche when you shouldn't have, uh, you could afford it, but now you can't. Things change, right? Uh, and, and things are so dynamic. And what you need is a, 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 a digital, a, a technological model which can handle that over time. And, 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 and for me, AI plays a big role in this, right? If you want to be a bank that can compete or a credit company that can compete in the future, you're going to need uh, machine learning capability to have new inputs, not just uh, new data points like we discussed earlier around not just repayment behavior, but also spend behavior and demographic and, you know, what, are you, what is your kind of even political bias or whatever, right? All these data points are useful. But the churning of continuous data points over time and changes over time, and, and you can't just have a single cross-sectional based regression model to do that, right? You need a machine learning model to, to take new inputs and adjust to new inputs based on 
the, the mass level of data that you're getting, which is uh, a moving time window and on a live basis and adjust accordingly. Uh, not only do I don't care, I not care about what specific data points, I only care about the result, which is something happens, it affects someone's credit worthiness. I can then infer using machine learning about what uh, uh, that might cause for someone else who has the same situation going forward. So this is another thing that, uh, just expanding from that a bit, this is something that I've, I've never understood, right? Um, if you don't have a credit card and you don't have installment plans, then your chances of getting a loan or any kind of financial boost is low because there's no way of knowing if you are a good paymaster or not. Um, but what if, like, let's say you are so good with your finances that you don't need to buy anything with uh, with credit or with points or via an installment? Um, and I'm wondering if if that sort of approach or that sort of mindset is going to change in time, like, you know, within the next decade or so? Uh, for me, it will only change once the, the situation changes for the incumbents, right? Meaning uh, uh, the new players will, will have no existing data. So they will have to be creative, start using different data sets like what you just described, which is I have no idea of this guy's repayment, but I know so many things, other things about him, right? Uh, he, let's say uh, I'm, 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 I'm Shopee and he's an existing merchant on my platform. I know exactly what his sales is. Uh, although there's no, he has zero record in secrets, I can still use what his sales data is and to say, hey, look, like, I can probably give him a loan based on his sales data, for example, a merchant or Shopee. Think uh, now the entire industry will only move in that direction once hmm. whatever your, your network is, whatever you use, right, starts moving away from traditional players and then they see their, in, their, in their annual reports or their quarterly reports saying, hey, why are we losing customers? Where are these customers going? Oh, they're going to Shopee, that's weird. They're going to Lazada, that's weird. They're going to Grab, that's kind of weird. What's happening? That's when you see, okay, what, what are they doing that we're not doing? Oh, they're looking at new data sets. We better start looking at that too. Otherwise, we're missing out because we've got this traditional way of thinking where we we, we kind of filter out immediately anyone who doesn't have a payment registry record, right? Which is a, a crazy thing to do, right? Uh, if, if somebody can qualify for a loan, but you don't give it to him just because he hasn't got one previously, that's kind of a weird, uh, but understandable, weird but understandable uh, uh, filter to put. Yeah, and... You know, like a few companies have popped up um, at least the last uh, over the last couple of years that allow like uh, split payments. One of them is, is called Split, uh, where they allow you to buy something and they will sort of like upfront payment paid for you, and then after that they allow you to pay them back by installments. And I don't think they have access to, um, let's say, like credit scoring or or you know credit card details. They do it purely on user behavior and by using things like AI or you know behavior analysis, and that's how they're able to sort of uh, not incur losses in the long run. Yeah, I know. For me, but you, if you look behind, I, I love these new companies because they create a whole new uh, think, way of thinking in our, in our industry, in the, in the fintech industry. Uh, but if you think about uh, where these people start, they, they start where they start as conservative as they can and then learn from the errors, right? Without making the errors, they will learn, right? So for me, they will make errors because you, if you, you don't have the key data point, right? Which is what is this person's repayment behavior? I have to make a guess based on data points I do have, right? But the great thing about these guys is that, one, they, they can learn so fast because they turn over people within three months as opposed to two years with a personal loan or five years with a car loan. I only get the data back after many, many months and years, right? Versus a, a buy now, pay later company, which can really churn the data fast over a number of, you know, even as quickly as 60 days. I'll know if somebody who I thought could repay back actually does repay back or not. And then if the answer is or not, I'll, I'll figure out why was the or nots happening and, and try and use AI to figure out what data points that, that wrap up this whole or not people 
back into my model, which I can use going forward. So for me, uh, that that's going to be really interesting. But you think about it, it's on the same premise, right? Which is, uh, I only get better once I get information on whether uh, uh, this person could repay back or not. So that repayment behavior becomes still very, very important, even to a new player like a buy now, pay later company like Split. I mean, for me, the, the, the kind of three big things that excite me is, yes, first, machine learning and AI, which I think you, you pointed out that are creating new things, right? That's interesting. Um, the second is uh, open banking. I think as a concept of having open API banking across the industry, and when I say banking, I don't mean banks. I mean banking, meaning things to do with finance should be as open as possible, but only allowable by 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 uh, by the consumer or the, the the user, right? So I have my data. I will allow you to do it, but it should be done easily. It shouldn't be have some sort of gatekeeper that if I allowed it, why well, why who are you to be my gatekeeper, right? Like I allowed something to happen, just let it happen. Like don't don't make me jump through ten hoops for me to give my own data to somebody else that I'm, I wanted to for him to give me a good product, right? So again, open open APIs are a key for 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 the industry development in that sense, right? Which is to just make things less kind of monolithic and centralized, right? And which limits my access to products, right? Um, and third, I think, you know, uh, using blockchain as a, as a base for, uh, for finance would, would be the key, right? Not just, and it's not just in the context of invest, in investing in cryptocurrency, which I'm sure everyone is, is keen to hear about. For, but for me, it's, it's about um, having that not just open uh, mindset, but also decentralized mindset, where it's not just, again, some monolithic, a company which determines what happens to my data and my money, right? I, I can, I can, I can be very open with just not just my data, but how I, I, I spend my money, how I keep my money, how I invest my money, uh, how money transfers go from one person to another, uh, what contracts I sign with other people, uh, uh, or, or as a company I want to raise money, how, who do I raise it with? Can I do it very easily without you know just huge big centralized authorities? Uh, so kind of three big. Three big things which I think are exciting me for the future of our industry. So since you mentioned AI again, uh, uh, just going back to that for a bit. Nowadays, when let's say you have a bad pay record or you have a bad credit score, um, coming out of it is, is fairly or relatively easy. So all you have to do is like fix your finances, you know, pay on time, do that for a few months. And then your credit card score sort of like uh, uh, adjusts itself, right? If AI comes in and, and if the blockchain is being used, let's say in the future, isn't that a very long-term impact on the person? Like, is, doesn't it make it difficult for the person to dig themselves out of that hole or out of that reputation or no? That, I mean, for me, you ask me, it depends on whether or not the provider thinks it's an uh, important data point. If what they find is lots and lots of people who have an is, uh, uh, issue with repayment three years ago have an issue paying today, despite rehabilitating themselves, then that's going to be a problem, right? And AI will spot that way faster than today's system, right? So for example, you pointed out correctly, with Secrets, right, uh, after 12 months, it disappears, right, from, from that. And I, 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 I repay nicely. I've got a nice repayment uh, profile. And I've done it such that to get a loan. But maybe I'm not that good a, a, a paymaster, actually, right? And a bank should not have given me a loan. The bank would not have been able to spot this because I, I've not gained the system. But I know how it works. Whereas if, in fact, you were not a good paymaster, or you are not likely to be a good paymaster, and you just clear yourself up for kind of six months, 12 months, to get a clean record, as, as you mentioned, AI will pick that up because they will go like, hey, how come this person uh, passed his secrets or rather passed a traditional view on secrets, but yet could not repay back his loan? Let's look back further, right? And AI will spot that right? versus uh, versus current, you know, traditional uh, cross-sectional models. Right. 
Um, so another thing that we haven't spoken about is uh, crypto, cryptocurrency. Um, because maybe your your credit score isn't good, let's say, but maybe you also own two Bitcoin, which means that you are essentially rich. You're, you're loaded in, in 10 years time. Um, but it's not liquid money yet, right? So it's considered a huge asset, but it's not something that you have in hand at the moment. So will credit scoring ever factor in crypto and investments like crypto in the next 10 years, you think? Oh, it's a good point. Um, I mean, to that, I would, I, would, I would use an analogy back to what's happening today, right? Let's say you're, a, you're somebody who wants a loan and you have like kind of a gold bar at home. Technically, you can take that gold bar and, and get it rated or whatever and, and give it to the bank as collateral for a loan right? and say, hey, look, this is a gold bar. It's worth 100,000 ringgit or whatever. And go, oh, but I only need a 50,000 loan. Why don't you just hold my gold bar as collateral and keep it in me and I get free storage essentially. In a world where, and, and the SC has done this last year, right, which is uh, they've prescribed uh, uh, cryptocurrencies as a security, not, not a currency. Security means it has some asset value. Using the, the traditional models of, okay, there's something with asset value. I know it's volatile, which means I'll just apply a massive you know, haircut or discount to it. Uh, I think it's entirely feasible that uh, credit institutions use cryptocurrencies right, with appropriate haircuts, of course, for volatility uh, to then give loans based on, on that as collateral. I, I see no reason that. In fact, that's one of the, one of the, one of the purposes of, of, of cryptocurrency, right, which is store of value. Right? Um, for me, that's, that's, if you look at it that way, I think that there should be nothing stopping uh, at least regulatorily in Malaysia, from that happening, right? It's just whether or not uh, uh, who's who's the first credit institution or bank who's willing to take that commercial risk. It's no longer a regulatory risk. It's now just a commercial risk. So I think a good way to to sort of cap this would be to talk about um, what you would like to see happen in 2031, um, you know, in terms of how people are benchmarked financially, uh, what new tech or new things are you excited about? Um, let's say it is the year 2031. What is the kind of landscape that you would be most excited about? Well, for me, it's it's uh, open and available banking anytime, anywhere, right? On any device. So, so here's an example, right? Uh, uh, I've been naming all kinds of names, but like assume these names still exist in, in 2031. So the Grabs of the world, the Shopee's, Lazada's, Air Asia's, they all, we, I all do, I do things with these, these people, right? I buy, I buy food on Grab, I take a ride on a car on Grab, I buy kind of my, my toiletries on Lazada, I buy you know, electronics on Shopee, I, I, I do whatever I need to do on various kind of four or five platforms. I, I, I go to airasia.com and I, I buy a flight or, or, or now they do food delivery as well. But I do all these things on all these platforms, right? And it should be so seamless for me to get financial uh, products from any of these institutions or no institutions at all, right? By as long as these guys are all interconnected with open banking APIs into some sort of decentralized network of data that allows for um, somebody who to lend me some money anytime, right? And I can go my app to any of these kind of platforms, which I use anyway, so I don't actually need a bank anymore, right? It's a, it's bankless banking, as, as it were, right? Um, and just purely on the strength of my data, I, I can get a loan of X ringgit given by a group or a collective of investors out there or a collective of, of, uh, of lenders out there who want to lend to someone like me, who are comfortable to lend to someone like me because they have access to the same, uh, obviously, uh, decentralized, anonymized data. Um, so for me, that's kind of where I see uh, 2031 looking like, right? Which is fully open banking, if not necessarily banks, right? So and allowing for this kind of bankless banking mindset where any provider which I do things with, whether it's buy food or travel or, or buy stuff or, or, or spend on things, can allow for me to have access to financing or investment products or insurance or whatever financial products there are out there. So that's kind of 
where I see the future heading. Hanli Yu can be found on Twitter at Ui Han. Don't forget to follow and subscribe to Futurescapes wherever you're streaming this from so that you don't miss out on upcoming episodes about autonomous cars, deepfake, and a whole lot more. I'll leave you now with a clip from a documentary that aired sometime in the 50s, if not mistaken, about people predicting the future and what the 20th century might look like. This comes from David Hoffman's YouTube channel. David himself is a documentarian who loves to capture everyday life in his work. This has been Futurescapes on BFM. 89.9 How science will shape his future and how modern industry can bring nations and individuals ever closer together is revealed by RCA's chairman, David Sarnoff. In the next half century, people will see as well as hear around the world. Pocket-sized radio instruments will enable individuals to communicate with anyone, anywhere. Newspapers, magazines, mail, and messages will be sent through the air at lightning speed and reproduced in the home. In this age of fear, war, and tension, men still hope they are halfway to a world of peace and harmony. Today, this hope is embodied in the organization of the United Nations, for survival rests now more than ever on honest cooperation among nations. In the second half of the 20th century, man must determine whether or not future generations shall live in freedom and at peace. Time marches on. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, the business station.